Okay, so back in April, I had the privilege of starting this series off. Six months later, I get the privilege of closing it. Now, for those of you that weren't here, it wasn't a very short sermon. In fact, it was 38 minutes long, and I got a little bit carried away and forgot the time. But I have trusted notes here, and I promise you it won't be 38 minutes long now. But through this series of Hebrews, we've seen the writer talking to Jewish Christians, reminding them about the truth of how Christianity rolls out of Judaism and brings about the complete fulfilment of everything the old covenant could never quite achieve. We heard how Jesus is greater than the angels, greater than Moses, and greater than any high priest. We've also heard how Jesus' blood is how redemption is brought about. The author of Hebrews also picked out the challenges that came to those people and come to us today. So how's this letter going to end? Is it going to be a nice, you know, looking forward to see you, pat on the back, cheery goodbye? Or are there even more challenges going to come? Well, I guess you probably already know from the passage that it's been around, there's more challenges to come. More challenges about how we live our life. More challenges and more unpacking of who Jesus really is and what he's achieved. And encouragements as well, I hope. I hope that you go away this evening not going, oh my goodness, more stuff to work on, more stuff to pray through. But actually through Jesus, all these questions, these challenges, we actually have the strength to do that. So where to start? The beginning, good place as anything. In verses 1 to 6 of this chapter, we see uh, the author of Hebrews draw out some challenges and some pushes, some directors, some uh, nudges in the kidney, so to speak, of the importance of community. The importance of community when they're facing challenges, when the internal dispute may be going on. When there's somebody who's maybe a little bit annoying because they're just annoying, or because they're wanting to draw us back away from the truth that the, that the author of Hebrews and the teachers of this community have shared. So, where to start? Keeping on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Now, I'm guessing that most of us have brothers and sisters. Some good, some not so good. Some that we want to love with a complete... They're just so easy to love because actually they're just who we want them to be. And others that you might want to throttle. There's a few laughs there. It sounds like some of you have got some of you want to throttle. But these not only... Um, Sorry, I've lost my place now already. <laughs> so, I don't know how, when you come to uh, Holy Trinity, whether you view the people that you sit next to as your brothers and sisters, or whether they just happen to be the person next to you, whether you really want to love them as brothers and sisters, or whether you just tolerate them, whether you put on a front, whether you just nod and smile, or whether you really genuinely care for them. And as brothers and sisters, it's, it's, I don't know, um, it's not always easy, especially when they come with challenges, especially when they might want to take us in a direction we don't want to go. And in the first verse of this chapter, this is what we're finding. But the author is writing it there because we want to keep on loving them. Just because they're challenging or irritating does not mean we should stop loving them. I, uh, I have an older sister... Sometimes she's irritating. But the most irritating thing about her is she's actually right 99% of the time. 
And actually, um, not all of us have that privilege of being able to have brothers and sisters that help us model and understand what it means to love one another. Not all of us have that privilege to um, know what it means to love a brother and sister. Some of us uh, have challenges that we face. But uh, in this verse, as soon as I was kind of reading it, it drew us back, or drew my thoughts back to Jesus' greatest commandment that is recorded in all three Gospels, and that I probably don't need to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, we kind of can rattle off verses like that and go, love your neighbour yourself, that's easy. But one of the things that can be really, really challenging is a view of ourselves. If we don't have a good view of ourselves, how, how much harder is it to view somebody else? So when I see a verse like this, and I see a verse like, uh, back in Hebrews 13, it challenges me again and again, and I hope it challenges you to actually, because of the confidence that we have in Christ, we first need to love ourselves, to love ourselves rightly, so that then we can share our love with each other. And if we grow and nurture the love that we have for each other in this community, it, will draw, it should draw those outside that community back to um, draw this back to Jesus and within this it kind of for me it picks up uh, the challenge that God intended for Israel right at the very beginning God didn't intend Israel to be an exclusive club where everyone's very matey and everybody gets on and everybody loves each other but it doesn't go out and we are the same, Christians are the same Um, Romans uh, 11 talks about how we're grafted into the vine we pick up that responsibility, the same responsibility as Israel has, to show community, to show God's love, to live out God's love in its fullness, so that those outside may be intrigued and want to know it more. Now, do we do that? Do you, when you go to work, are you one of love or are you one of frustration? Do the love that you have for your brothers and sisters here stay here, or does it go out into the community? And when we're loving, uh, when we face challenges within, the, within our community, do we just whinge about them behind their back? Or do we go up to them and talk with them? Do we engage with them? Do we show them true love? Or do we just complain about them? Now, it's really easy to be challenged by somebody's behaviour, whether it be strange teachings or just being annoying, that we can kind of go, just put them to one side and forget about them. But is that showing love? Are we reaching out with love to our brothers and sisters if we just allow them to carry on? Surely love is when we reach out and connect with those people where they are and guide them and enable them to see the truth of the gospel in this case, but in anything. So, importance of loving brothers and sisters. And down into verse 2, it goes beyond that. It's not like I said about Israel, it wasn't like a big club, it's about showing hospitality and love to the strangers. Do we put ourselves in a place where we are open to and having impact and connection with strangers? Or are we in our church huddle and bubble so that we don't reach out, that we can't reach out because we're in busyness of life? And as it points out in this verse, 
Some people did it and they uh, show hospitality to angels. Now, that seems quite exciting and pretty amazing, but I don't know whether anybody's had lunch with an angel, but I haven't recently. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Alan. Uh, maybe you have them in the rectory all the time. I don't know. <laughs> Sidetrack. Um, but this, like, sharing time with each other, giving up our own time, is so much of a deep, rich reward than having the busyness of our lives. One thing I've noticed whilst being at Holy Trinity is we have very busy lives. I have a very busy life. Is my life too busy to have that time to show hospitality to anybody? Whether it be the person I'm sitting next to, the person I bump into the street, the conversation that I have with somebody down the pub. Is my life full of busyness so that I can't do what it says in Scripture? What my heart and my passion is to do is to, is to live a life out for Scripture. But is, there, is it not working out? Am I not really doing that? So we can hear amazing sermons. We can hear these challenges of uh, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. But if we walk out of the door and we put it to one side, it's pointless. There's pointless standing up, me doing lots of prep work, preparing these words, going with it, and us wandering outside. It's pointless me listening to it and not doing anything with it. Scripture has a point. Scripture should grasp us and not just go, ooh, that's nice, but should grasp us to want to change and to challenge and to take up the fullness of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and the change that makes in our lives. Verse 3. We continue to remember those in prison. Now, in the context of this passage, they talk, predominantly talk, the passage is talking about those within the community who are uh, in prison because of their faith and their belief. The challenge is that out of sight, out of mind. The challenge is of, in our context, people hundreds, thousands of miles away who are being faced persecution and we can forget about them. What do we do to remember those in prison that face persecution because of their faith? What do we do, as Lindsay prayed about, what do we do to connect with those prisoners in our own country? Do we just see those in prison as people who got things wrong and they deserve their punishment? Or do we show them the love that Christ showed us? Now... Marriage. Ooh, big subject, lots of news. Um, all of these things that I'm kind of picking up, we could have a sermon on each and every single one. So just going over them, and these are snapshots. They should give you uh, sound bites into wanting to know more and grapple, grapple more deeply with them. So, marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This book, this letter of Hebrews, is talking about the Hebrew community. He's talking to the Hebrew community, a community of God followers, a community of Christ believers. So, yes, be passionate about um, upholding the, the, the covenant of the of marriage, but let's get it right inside. Let's get it right in our community. Let's dig deep into Scripture and see what God says about marriage. And live it out in our lives. And not be swayed by uh, 
what feels good, what feels right, or what society says is right and wrong in the context of marriage and what marriage should and shouldn't be. God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit, know the fullness of humanity, created the fullness of humanity, and know what is best, whether we think they do or not. So whether it's marriage or anything else, when when Scripture lays down guidelines and instructions about something, it's not because they're killjoys. It's because they want people, us, believers in Christ, to experience stuff in the fullness in which it was intended. And we can go along with the whole, well, with the second part, God will judge the daughter in the section, you know, God, God, you know, God will forgive me. Should it be about what we can get away with, or should it be wanting to live fully within God's plans and God's desires for, for marriage or anything else? And it's challenging because it's costly. If you're in love with somebody, you want to spend time with them in different ways. But actually, if you're not careful... You go beyond that which God desires and which God wants to keep pure for the marriage. And let's not be naive to think it's, it's something that would happen to somebody else. Let's not be thinking about it as we go. Let's be thinking, if you're in a relationship, if you're married, let's be thinking about those things before you get there. And don't keep uh, adjusting the buffer zone and thinking we can get away with this, get away with this, and then before you know it, you've gone where you, God never intended you to go. And this is not a finger-wagging, pointy thing, having a go. This is because God wants you to enjoy the fullness of marriage in the way that it's intended, in a glorious union between a man and a woman in the right context. So, yes, be passionate about keeping the law of the land, but let's get it right inside, but not keeping it inside. For those of us... Uh, those of you that are married, I assume we'll be married, but those of us that are married, we have this amazing opportunity to speak truth into a society that says something else. We have an amazing opportunity to show the world how God intends marriage to be. Pick up that challenge. Be brave and have those conversations with the work colleagues that are asking questions. And uh, there is a, there's enough uh, literature out there. There's enough people that want to have conversations about this. If you are standing at the front, you can make so many assumptions about the people that are stood in front of you that you can make the assumption that everybody knows what God's plan is for marriage, that everybody knows what God's plan and view is of sex. But if you don't, don't be scared. Ask somebody. Sex is not something to be scared of as to seen as dirty, but something to be discovered about the right context and, and expressed in the right context. Have those awkward conversations with people if you don't know. Don't ever be scared to not ask a question. Right. When I was reading this verse, got to this chapter, I was getting to verse 5 and I'm thinking, oh, I really, really like this verse because I spent my entire dissertation writing 10,000 words about the love of money. So I could just go, right, sit still, I'm going to read you all 10,000 words, you're not going anywhere until i finished. But I'm not going to do that, because you might find that a little bit boring. 
But as with marriage, as with sex, where are our priorities? Are our priorities earthly priorities, storing up that which we can provide for ourselves? Is our focus about where our jobs are, about getting enough money to do A, B and C, or to, to have that safety net just in case? Do we have confidence to truly believe that God is the biggest banker of the world, that has the biggest pot of cash? Do we believe confidently enough, and I'm not doing prosperity doctrine before you all get kind of twitchy down there, but do we have confidence that God, who knows our every need, will provide for our every need? And we can sometimes kind of go, well, you know, well, God gave us our jobs. Yes, God did give us our jobs. But do we... I'm I'm pausing because I don't want to go on my soapbox. Because uh, I know that Alan pointed out in a sermon, uh, whilst I wasn't here, <laughs> about how I don't really care about money. So I'm sorry, I'm not dobbing you in on this. <laughs> so, yeah, I, like, I enjoy material things. Material things are not bad, but when they become our driving force, when they become our reason for getting up first thing in the morning, is that really good? Is that really what God wants us to, our view of money to be? I find it, uh, I don't know, so liberating not to care about money. When I was working, we'd get to the time of year when pay negotiations would come on, and everyone would be like, I want money, I want money. I was like, well, do I really? Like, I earn enough to pay my bills, and I earn enough to be able to do what I need to do, so why do I need more money? Do we get sucked in by this drive to have more money whilst forgetting forgetting about God? Are we content with what we've got? Or do we hunger for more and more of the wrong things? Surely it's better to hunger for more and more of a deepening of relationship with God than to hunger for more and more of money. Money comes and goes. Money spent. Money disappears down the back of a sofa. God doesn't. God doesn't disappear down the back of a sofa. God doesn't reduce in quantity. God is God. And do we have the boldness and the confidence to be able to read the verses in verse 5 and 6 that say, never will, uh, and have the confidence to read and know the truth of, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can mere mortals do? Do I have the confidence in living out my faith, in living in community, that the Lord is my helper? Or do I look to myself? Do you look to yourselves? Do we shrink down God's ability from being the creator of the universe and unable to do so much more to, well, he may have done that, but... There are so many verses in the Gospels that talk about money. There... I was going to say hundreds, it might be a slight exaggeration. If you don't know or understand what a biblical perspective or God's perspective on money, go and find it. Go and cheat and use Bible Gateway and type in money and you'll have enough verses to keep you going for at least the next year if you look at them properly. Don't just go out... Uh, when somebody at the front gives you a challenge, don't just go, right, haven't got to love money. Look into the depths of why. Look into the impact of what that, have, what that has on your life to understand Jesus 
and the change and the impact that Jesus has on our life more and more. So all of those things that I've spoken on, there's so much richness and depth of further that could go into. I'm going to leave that there. And now I'm going to look onto a section that talks about leaders, which I got a little bit twitchy when Alan started at the front, and, start, and there's a bit that says about strange teaching and having confidence in your leaders. And I was there thinking, okay, where's it going with this? Should I have confidence in your leaders? But, you know, I should have been confident. It's Alan. He's not going to do anything completely bonkers. Maybe. <laughs> so in verse 7 of Hebrews... So it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to, con- to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and intimate, imi- uh, imitate their faith. Sorry about that. Um, these, the leaders that are spoken of here are those of the past, those that are already dead, quite probably. They're the leaders that had an impact on the root and the establishment of this community. Leaders that had confidence in what the gospel was. Confidence that there was no need for the food laws to reign supreme. No, no, confidence that Jesus had brought absolute fulfillment and gone beyond that which the old covenant required. Do we have people, whether they don't have to be dead, but people that in our, in our background that have shown us the truth of the gospel and that live it out in their every day. It may be youth leaders, it may be older people in our church, in this church, churches you come from. What was it about their lives that shined out Jesus? What was it about the way they approached their lives that made you think, I want to go deeper. I want the truth, I want to live in the fulfilment that those people seem to have. Not that you go idolizing them and saying, I I can think of a couple in my old church called Ron and Alice. I don't want to be like Ron and Alice. I want to be me going for God like they are. And keeping on the straight and narrow and to the truth of the gospel, not being buffeted side to side, whether it be trends in the church or trends in society, trends come and go. The style of worship will change. The, the way we do prayers will change. But the truth of the gospel is the same. Hang on to those people that um, spoke the truth into your lives and use, well, use them, that sounds a bit wrong. <laughs> Allow those people to be an encouragement. When you face those challenges of going, oh, not sure, should I go left, should I go right, should I stick straight on? Remember those people that took, stuck to the path of straightness, that didn't go with the desire as is taking place in Hebrews to kind of wander back to add a little bit more Judaism back into it and have the sacramental meals and the, the food laws and the circumcision and all those kind of things. Stick with what you know to be true and find out what is true. Get deeper into God's word. Understand God's word. Have a passion for God's word. And I know that in the busyness of my life, let alone everybody else's, that we reading God's word can take a further and further a back step Because in my life, I spend a lot of my time preparing things like this and Bible studies for other people. Yet it's so important for me, in order for me to be able to do this and be a leader, as it talks about in 17, that I spend time in God's Word, feeding myself. If we don't feed ourselves, we get hungry and we get weak, both physically and spiritually.
So, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. The writer of this letter is fully aware of both what the community is like and the leaders of it's like. The, the author of this letter has confidence that the leaders are sticking to the truth and that they have no desire to bend and shape the truth but are facing challenges within that. For me, as somebody who is both somebody who sits in the pews and listens to the leaders but also has the privilege of leading, this is really challenging. And I hope it is for you. Because we can sit in the pews and listen to the person giving the sermon, listen to the person leading the style of service, and be excessively critical, look for every small thing that they get wrong, and go off into the meeting place and slate them. But why should you not have confidence in your leaders? Why should you not trust them? Because if a leader reads this, this is a big responsibility. Somebody does not go into leadership flippantly, lightly, hoping for a nice, easy life. People go, I was going to say begrudgingly, but very aware of the demands and pressures that they place on their life, both as a person and as a spiritual leader. Encourage your spiritual leaders. Encourage people like Alan. Encourage those... um, in house groups or anything. Build them up, don't drag them down. Because the more you drag them down, the harder it is for them to keep going on. I don't know about you, but if you're doing something and it feels like you're pushing against a brick wall, it makes it harder and harder to do it. Have confidence in your leaders. Yes, in knowing scripture, test them, and, uh, but don't slate them. Be encouraging See what God is doing in their life as well as yours. And maybe sometimes when we don't have confidence, it's down to where we're at. Is the struggles that are going on on in our life that the leader isn't doing exactly how he wants? Maybe sometimes when we notice things or question mark about things, God is actually giving us question marks to think about where we're at and what we're doing. Pray for the leaders. Pray for Alan. Pray for Carol. Pray for Paul. They have big decisions to make which are not easy when you've got a church this size with so many opinions and so many views which are probably all valid but not all of them can be taken into account. Lift them up in prayer not drag them down in criticism. Right, you're getting towards the end of Hebrews. And, you know, we've, we've gone quite a few verses in and it is kind of, well, I know we bracket it with the leadership ones, but, you know, hasn't mentioned anything about Jesus just yet. Or, um, so, he's ending, the author's ending his letter and what does he get come back to? He comes back to Jesus. He comes back to what Jesus has done and the fulfilment of everything that was... Uh, 
talked about would happen in the future in the Old Testament. We've seen how we get the beginning about the, how Jesus is the high priest. And here in uh, 11 to 16, the author talks about um, how within Jesus and with what takes place with Jesus, Jesus supersedes the Day of Atonement. So in the Day of Atonement, it's in Leviticus 16, if you want to have a look. Maybe not now, at the end. Um, the Day of Atonement is uh, taken up by two goats. One which is sacrificed for the blood, and one which is sent off into, into uh, the wilderness with the sins unto the Lord. Taking, both making us clean and taking us, the sins away. Now, there's an awful lot going on within that passage, but in a nutshell, that is what takes place within Jesus' death and resurrection. His blood is way beyond that of a goat, way beyond anything that human beings can provide. Jesus is the ultimate goat. Sounds a bit weird putting it that way, but you know what I mean. Jesus' blood is once for all. And I'm so grateful, I don't know about you, that I don't have to do sacrifices because I'm not very good with blood and I pass out and it'll be a little bit messy. So not only am I grateful that, well, not only am I grateful that I don't have to do sacrifices, but we have the privilege of being on the other side of the Old Covenant where everything that God talked about in the Old Testament was going to happen has happened. And for me, that should be a sense of real privilege and a desire to get to know God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even more, and allow them to completely have my life. Not in just some kind of airy-fairy, wouldn't that be nice, but a desire and a passion to go deeper because of what Jesus has achieved. The whole book of Hebrews has been unpacking more and more of the Old Testament and seeing how, without the Old Testament context, we don't fully grasp what Jesus has done. Let's hold on to that. That outside of a context of the Old Testament kind of sounds a little bit weird. Why would you need to sacrifice somebody inside a context of the Old Testament? It helps us to really understand what was taking place and the fulfilment and the, the power of what it is. And I would encourage you to go back. Six months is a long time. We've had a gap in the middle. But six months is a long time. I would encourage you to go back and read Hebrews through in its entirety, reminding yourself about the challenges and the encouragements and the directions that come within that passage. Pick up those challenges. Don't just smile at them. Are we prepared to go outside of the city walls are we prepared to go outside of, of our expectations and what we're comfortable of? Are we prepared to put our full trust in Jesus and what he has achieved and what he's asked us to do now and in the future? Now is the time not just to think about this, but it's also to respond to it. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen.